leftovers. Or the DMV. Or house cleaning. Or Chumba Casino always brings the fun. Play over a hundred different games online for free from anywhere. You could redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. Live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox Internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com slash internet for details. From the era that brought you names like Chamberlain, Russell, and West. The Chamberlain, he's got it. Jerry West made it from the other side of the mid-court strike. To the glory days of Magic and Kareem. Abdul-Jabbar is on the brink of an NBA all-time record. From a time where last-second shots were expected. Here comes Kobe. From way outside. Got it! Oh, man! Gets it to LeBron. For three for the win! Yes! LeBron James! And rings were handed out like candy. Here's Jordan! It's Duncan Dynasty with your host, Garrett Bougay, and it starts right now. Welcome to another episode of Duncan Dynasty. I'm your host, Garrett Bougay, and with me this week, a very special guest. It's his second time on the program, and he is a fellow sports business classroom alum, Frankie Neifinger. Frankie, thanks so much for coming on. Hey, thanks a lot, man. Appreciate it. It's good the first time. Hopefully we do another good job, and uh, let's, let's get some let's get some basketball talk going on. Yeah, we've got uh, we've got quite a few things to discuss. Of course, the uh, we're recording this right after the big game four win for the Toronto Raptors. Toronto winning it one twenty to one o two at home to tie the series at two and uh, set up a very very exciting game five in Milwaukee on Thursday. And uh, we've also got uh, the conclusion of the Western Conference Finals to talk about with the, uh, the Warriors sweeping the, uh, the Portland Trail Blazers. We'll get to both of those here shortly, but I wanted to start off our conversation, Frankie, talking about all of this Magic Johnson drama. Of course, last month he, uh, he set up that impromptu press conference kind of out of the blue without really telling any of the Lakers brass and, uh, you know announced his resignation, and then yesterday, a really strange uh, appearance on first take and uh, talking about some of the reasons why he resigned. Yeah, really, kind of a, I don't want to say an uncomfortable situation, but, I mean, it's it's crazy kind of the heel turn that's been going on with Magic. I mean, he, he, he was what, him and, and Charles... And Shaq are probably the three most loved basketball players that we have that are at least in the public eye. And in the last month, Magic's just, it seems like he's gone downhill. But do, do you think this is more of a, a Magic issue? Or is this a, a, an organization issue for the Lakers? Do you blame Polinka or, or Genie? Or where do you where do you stand on, on the blame? Or 
blame, and this is just, you know, the new normal. I think the blame has to go to both, you know, on, on both sides of this. I think some of the stuff uh, on first take, Magic mentioned that uh, he felt backstabbed by Rob Palinka. He felt like uh, he didn't have the authority that he was promised and wasn't allowed to fire Luke Walton when he wanted to. And he's also he also talked about how Jeannie Buss has too many voices in the room and listens to too many people. I think all of those things very well may be true, and they may be valid points. But I think, you know, you can also say that the way Magic Johnson handled all of this just showed a, a real lack of class. Yeah, definitely. Actually, one thing that I, I kind of noticed that's been going on in Lakerland a lot, and I think it's it's the root cause for a lot of their, their organizational structure issues is it seems like they, they have this idea that things are going to go well for the Lakers, regardless of what they do, and that's causing Jeannie Bass and Palenka and Magic Johnson uh, just to, to... Nobody's taking ownership. Nobody's taking responsibility for the, for the bad things that are happening for the franchise, and you need that personal accountability where you say, okay, yeah, I messed up. You know, Jeannie, I'm, I'm bad at hiring people. I don't know how to hire people, so let me pull in people who do know how to hire people. It's, it's just... Everybody's so ignorant to their own flaws, and it's almost like this hubris that's really just not allowing the Lakers to move forward. It's been a while since there's been stability in in the front office in, in L.A., and it's really tough to watch because, I mean, I don't know about you, but personally, I'm not even a Lakers fan, but I appreciate, obviously, when there's talent and there's, you know, there's skill and there's well-run organizations, but in L.A., even if you don't, they're the team that you love to love or you love to hate. It just makes the, the game, the league, more exciting. Well, and and the league, you know, places a priority on the Los Angeles market. Even when the Lakers are terrible, they still get a ton of national TV games. So, yeah, as as just a neutral fan of the league, I think it, it benefits everybody if they're if they're a pretty good team because they're going to get in the spotlight no matter what. But uh, you know, going back to that initial situation with with Magic announcing that you know, abrupt press conference and, and not telling the owner, Jeannie Buss, not telling, you know, not informing LeBron, not telling any of the Lakers. I mean, to me, how is that any different than just an everyday employee out there in the world, you know, not giving their two weeks notice and just like running out the door and flipping everybody off as they walk out and saying, peace. Yeah, it's, that's perfect analogy. It's, to be honest, it's, it's unacceptable. Uh, yeah, it's the, it's the off season. You need to be able to, you know, be accountable for your actions. You got to take ownership. Um, you have to treat your other employees with some respect, and not, you know, drop a media bomb like that and then do it again a month later. Which, like whether or not Jeannie and, and Rob Link or anybody in the, in the organization was right or wrong, it, what Magic has done these last these last two, I guess, public appearances has just been been pretty unacceptable, pretty immature, pretty childish. And, you know, hopefully he bounces back. I'm sure he'll smile and he'll wave and he'll shake hands and, and everybody will love him in the next six months. But, um, you know, it's a, it's a blemish for sure. When you talk about the going on first take, which again happened uh, on on uh, on Monday morning, the you know you, you, he could have gone on any number of different shows, but he chose first take for a reason. That's the, the most dramatic, you know, melodramatic show on television in the world of sports. 
And, you know, he went on there and, yeah, you know, bad-mouthed basically the entire organization. And then, you know, when uh, when Stephen A. Smith and Max Kellerman actually asked him, you know, what about the way you went about it? Do you have any regrets? He straight up said, I don't do that. I don't regret. And to me, that just speaks to someone that has an un- uncomfortable amount of arrogance, uh, you know, hubris, and just seems to be somebody that... Uh, you know, won't learn from their mistakes. Yeah, exactly. And and the, the the funny thing about all of this is, and as a lot of a lot of people have noted, is the Lakers are probably better off not having Magic in the front office. Based on, especially with what you said just now, I think it's perfect. It's it's this humorous. It's I'm not doing anything wrong. Everything I do is right. And you have to, you know, everybody has weaknesses. You have to acknowledge them and work on them and get better at them. And if you're not willing to acknowledge them, you're, you're not going to go anywhere. This is not, he's not playing basketball anymore. It's an entirely different skill set and an entirely different, uh, you know, it's just a different ballgame that he's not prepared for. And he doesn't, he doesn't realize that he's not prepared for. Yeah, the Lakers continue to be, you know, for good or bad, you know, they continue to be the, the headline of the NBA even when they're no longer in the playoffs and competing. But uh, let's let's move on to the actual games because I think that's what most people are are excited about, including myself. And uh, let, let's talk about this uh, this Toronto Milwaukee series with Toronto again winning one twenty one oh two in Game Four to tie the series at two. And uh, one of the things that that really has has stood out to me in these last couple of games, despite the fact that that Kawhi Leonard appears to have have potentially re injured that right quad. That he uh, that he suffered in San Antonio, he has still been extremely effective, slowing down Giannis and and being the fulcrum to the Raptors' offensive attack. Yeah, I mean he's been absolutely incredible, just most important offensive player on the team and the most important defensive player on the team. I guess you could say the same for Giannis, but you know it's when when players are so equal in their skill level and in their their aggressiveness and their, their competitive nature, you can kind of see in this series how important it is to get those playoff reps and to have that experience. And Kawhi just, he always seems under control uh, offensively, defensively. He never seems like his confidence is shaken. Uh, and, and it's really, it's it's showing in these last couple games where he's, he's bringing this team back. And it's not just him, obviously. You can't win a you can't win a series like this with just one player. But tonight, especially, I mean, it looked like the the bench came alive for the Raptors. Finally, the bench that was so good last year depleted this year over trades and offseason moves. But finally, the bench showed up and had a had a great game. So, if you could, might as you know dive more into that and how the Raptors kind of showed a different side of themselves tonight. Yeah, I think you know. You saw it throughout a lot of the Philly series and then in the early stages, especially the first couple of games uh, in Milwaukee, is you saw those role players like the like uh, you know Marcus Gasol, Kyle Lowry, Serge Ibaka, Fred Van Fleet, you know, all hesitate. They all wanted to, to be the unselfish player and make the extra pass, and they ended up passing up open looks. And against this Milwaukee defense that that really sucks into the paint, really rotates and and uh, moves and flies around extremely well. You've got to just take those open looks. And I think the the biggest thing and the biggest differentiator between the first couple of games and, and the last two in which Toronto has gotten back into the series 
is the fact that you know all of their players are no longer hesitating. They're all being very aggressive. When they get a look, they're firing away, and more importantly, they're knocking them down. Yeah, definitely. I think Marcus is probably the biggest uh, contributor to that. The first couple games and really the entire playoffs, he catches the ball at the top. Excuse me, at the top of the key, right, right in the three-point arc. He's wide open. For the first couple series and the first two games of this series, he's looking around, trying to find somebody who's open, maybe pump faking, which allows a lot of times it's Brook Lopez guarding him to come out and, and start playing defense on him and, and maybe contest the shot or at least take away the shot as an option. But last couple games, catching the ball, I'm open, I'm shooting it. Whether it goes in or not, I don't think it matters that much because what's happening, and if you're, if you're paying attention, it's pulling Brooke Lopez farther from the paint and closer to Marcus Gasol because the, the, the chance of him shooting the ball has increased. So Lopez needs to be in that defensive position. That opens up the paint. The, the help defense is a, is a step slower, and it just allows all these other guys on this Toronto team to get to a groove or find find just a little bit of an angle here and a little bit of an angle there. Uh, I mean, we're seeing it with, with Kyle Lowry tonight. He, he played great. He was able to get to the line a bunch. Uh, really just really playing a great game. And speaking of, of Lowry, do you mind going into the, the whole Lowry versus Bledsoe? I mean, it's, it's been pretty obvious that Bledsoe has been, I don't know if he's, he's a tier lower as a player, but something about the playoffs is, it, it stops something in his ability. He's just not as good in the playoffs. So Bledsoe's been struggling. He's probably been the third best guard on this Milwaukee team uh, with, with Brogdon outside of tonight at least, but, but Brogdon and Hill ahead of him in terms of uh, what they're contributing to the Bucks. But can you talk about that Bledsoe-Lowry matchup and maybe what you're seeing there? Yeah, it is, uh, you know, Bledsoe has been a, a, a major negative, especially on the offensive end. He, you know, shows no confidence in the jump shot. You know, you saw the, the Raptors players early in the series hesitating. He seems to be hesitating with that shot now. He has, he has no confidence. He's not knocking him down. And the Raptors have been able, and Kyle Lowry in particular, has been able to, to muck things up for Milwaukee inside by just leaving Bledsoe on the perimeter. And, you know, Bledsoe, you know, is, is a terrific defender and a, and a key important piece to that Milwaukee defense. But, you know, Lowry has still been able to, with his constant motion, his ability to, to shoot off the dribble, he's still been able to get some open looks even with Bledsoe guarding him. So, yeah, Lowry has definitely gotten a, a, a huge, you know, has, has won that matchup pretty significantly. And, you know, Lowry's gotten hot at, at just the right time. Yeah, I mean, Lowry's been, been incredible. And he's he's one of the players that everybody likes to likes to write off after a game or two games. And it's almost, it's. I'm sure he hears it. He seems like a smart guy. He seems like an in-tune guy. But he also seems like a guy who doesn't really care what anybody says. He's going to go out, he's going to play, he's going to take his shots. They're going to go in or they're not. And, you know, he'll live with the result. But he's going he's gonna to play hard. Everybody talks about how he's a, a, a plus-minus guru. He, he's always got a great plus-minus, even if he's shooting terribly, not scoring, if he's not passing the ball well. Something about him on the floor, it's almost like it has a sense of calm for the Raptors. And obviously, he's an incredible defensive player. Um, so it's, it's, just, it's nice to finally see him uh, 
have the stats to back up what you know the eye test kind of shows. Yeah, he uh, he has been phenomenal. He's been he's been really good at uh, you know not only getting and putting up some shots from the three-point line, which, as you stated, can can pull the, the Bucks bigs, especially Lopez, away from the basket. But he's been great at uh, at running those pick-and-pops, whether that's hitting that pocket pass to Ibaka, and, and he got into more in the mid-range, which is more of his comfort zone in this game. And uh, also that pick-and-pop play to Gasol uh, out at the three-point line. He does such a good job of, of passing that right at the exact moment where the defense is, is committed an extra step to him. But the other thing I thought was interesting was Budenholzer, this game, uh, I think, is recognizing that Bledsoe is a problem. And and in the first and third quarters, he took him out about three minutes into the period and and put in George Hill. I wouldn't be shocked moving forward if he just either starts George Hill or maybe even starts Malcolm Brogdon. But, you know, Bledsoe's already on a short leash. Yeah, and it's one of those weird things where, yeah, let's say you, you start George Hill, you start Brogdon, and you, you, you keep Bledsoe on the bench, at least for the start of the game, and you, you move him into that reserve role. And let's say you win the game, and that's all well and good, but now your rotations are shaken up. People are playing the roles that they're not used to. Uh, Bledsoe's confidence is probably shook. And let's say you win the series, you're going up against a Warriors team, and you can't have the point guard, the guy who's going to be guarding and scoring or trying to score against Steph Curry, you don't want his confidence shaken at all. You want everybody to be at their utmost confidence level, playing at their best. So it's it's one of those tricky moves where how do you, you know, how do you finagle that from a from a mental aspect? Yeah, so it's, it'll be interesting to see what they do. It is it is a fair point, but you know, just looking at him out there, even as a starter, he doesn't seem to be playing with much confidence. Uh, yeah, you're right. But. What were your thoughts? You know, I think Game Three was the big uh, defensive adjustment from Nick Nurse and putting uh, putting Kawhi onto Giannis. It seemed like uh, you know in that game they they really weren't able to to find Giannis any favorable matchups and, and they weren't able to get Kawhi off of him. In this game, they were able to do a little bit better job. They uh, Giannis obviously attacked a little bit more in transition. This was a faster paced game than that Game Three. Uh, but uh, it also felt like they, they did some more cross-screening action to, to get some switches, and at, at times that worked. But uh, Giannis still with just 17 shot attempts in this game, despite the fact that he hit nine of them, that's just not enough. Yeah, no, I agree. And I mean, credit to Nick Nurse, and I'm sure there was, you know, Kawhi at some level of, of you know, maybe decision-making on that part. But it's the Eastern Conference Finals. You have to put your best defender on the best offensive player, you know, assuming the matchups make sense. And the matchups make sense for the other four guys out there. And yeah, Kawhi's going to get tired. He played, I think it was like 50, 52 minutes in game three. Um, like you said, looks like he may have injured that quad or gotten some injury, which is not great. But you, you got to win these games kind of at all costs. And I think, you know, from the load management aspect, at least during the year, there was this whole idea that, okay. Kawhi wants to sit, he wants to rest this game, we're going to let him do it because we want him to love Toronto, we want him to fall in love with the organization, we want him to trust us, we want him to come back. But you can't do that in the, in the playoffs, and I think he understands that you can't do that in the playoffs. So, uh, Actually, I've had one of my friends say that they're worried that this injury could make Kawhi turn on the Raptors, but 
I just I don't think he he's built like that mentally. I think he understands the situation and the gravity of the games they're playing. And if he gets hurt, it's it's almost like a a workplace hazard type deal. But all credit to Kawhi, all credit to Nick Nurse, containing Giannis. Obviously, one coach counters, one team counters, the next team will counter back. And we kind of saw that tonight, where Giannis was definitely more efficient, and the Bucks were definitely more efficient on offense than they were last game. It'll be interesting to see, you know, do the Bucks push that further? Or can the Raptors kind of pull it back the other way? It's this whole tug of war of kind of uh, controlling Giannis and, and, and preventing him from, from going off. We'll see. Obviously, the Bucks have home court next game. That'll probably play a factor. But, yeah, we'll see. I mean, what, do you, what are you expecting to see in Game 5? Yeah, I, um, you know, I, I, still, I still tend to like Milwaukee, although... You know, what Toronto has done these last couple of games, certainly they're, you know, right back into this series. The one thing I would say that I that I thought was encouraging for the Bucks was the fact that uh, Chris Middleton really got going in this ball game. He had struggled in the previous couple. Of course, he's played terrific defense on Kawhi all series, you know, denying him the basketball, getting over screens, making him go through two or three actions to get a shot off. And, you know, that, that energy he's exerted on the defensive end has uh, you know taken away from his offensive game, but in this one, you know, with all the you know the the Raptors were able to get everybody else aside from Kawhi going, that actually maybe helped Middleton because he didn't have to spend as much energy defensively. Yeah, and I think it's uh, on top of that. I think it's also one of those one of those things where he's almost playing into shape. You know, guys come in after a long off season, maybe they just sign a contract, and and it takes a couple of minutes to play into shape. Uh, Clint Capella did that this year where. You just got to lose the weight. You got to get back into, you know, get your cardio back, get your energy up. And with Middleton, most of the year, he doesn't have to do the scoring or do, you know, be the second scorer and guard the best player who's as good as Kawhi over and over again every other day. But now he has to, and maybe it just took him, you know, three games to get his sea legs under him, kind of build up that that cardio, that stamina, um, to where he can play effectively on defense and bring it back to the offensive end. But yeah, he was he was great and he's so important. I mean, he's he's been a great playoff player his entire career, so I'm not surprised. You know, it looks like he may have just had a couple games where he stumbled rather than a trend. But, you know, it's good to see him get back and I mean, I don't think you have any rooting interest. I don't have a rooting interest. It's it's just fun to see guys make shots and to make plays and, and to be out there and to, you know, have the energy to really go after it for however many minutes they are in the game. So it's this, you know, it was an 18 point game, but we were talking a little bit before this call. It was a fun game to watch. Um, very exciting up and down. These are, these are two very formidable Eastern conference teams. Yeah. And you know, if you're a Raptors fan, I think this, what you saw tonight is essentially, you know, the, the kind of the dream you may have had when this collection of talent finally came together and, and Masai Ujiri made those moves to bring this talent together. Uh, they uh, they played confidently. They were terrific defensively. They moved the basketball, played extremely extremely well. And, and despite the fact that Kawhi didn't have one of his typical just amazing performances offensively, they were able to get the win. 
you know, talking about the rest of this series, and I think one of the key factors is just going to be, is Milwaukee going to have one of those games where they just shoot it really well from downtown? They haven't shot the ball extremely well from three all series. I think this game they were around 11 of 34, uh, and, and Miritich was just two for eight, and he got some decent looks. Uh, but, you know, that, that might be a determining factor in, in a potential game five or even a potential game seven is if Milwaukee can just have one game where they, they really get hot from downtown. Yeah, I mean, and the, the crazy thing about that, actually, is I think the Bucks during the regular season were second only to the Rockets in three-point attempts per game. But tonight, they got outshot from the three-point line in terms of volume, at least, and I guess efficiency. But I think, uh, yeah, 35 three-pointers for the Bucks to 41 for the Raptors. So, I mean... Looks like the Raptors are, are kind of playing the Bucks style, which is, is never what you want when you're a team. You, you, you don't want the other team to kind of take over your style and do it better than you, at least like the Raptors did tonight. Right, and, and Milwaukee does kind of force teams into, into playing uh, an offensive style where they have to rely heavily on the three, and, and the Raptors have, have done a pretty good job of that. And, and I think Norman Powell is a player that... Uh, you know, just I think he shot four of thirteen tonight. You know, not a great percentage, but the fact that he was just willing and, and able to just, uh, you know, take those shots aggressively, I think, uh, really helped Toronto. And also, you know, with Milwaukee's defense and and they're over relying on uh, on help and and constantly, uh, you know, rotating. It's good to have another guy that can not only catch and shoot, uh, but uh, but a guy that can attack off the dribble, and I think that's something Powell has maybe brought to this series that that Danny Green can't. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of crazy how I mean, I, I, Norman Powell was good. I think it was maybe two years ago when I remember being like, "Wow, it'll be interesting to watch Norman Powell as he you know progresses during his career." And it almost seemed like he he plateaued almost entirely, and now in these playoffs, especially this series, Norman Powell is getting big minutes, played 32 minutes tonight, like you said, 4 of 13, and those are just, those are huge minutes, those are huge shots, and he's got the energy, he's, he's a strong guy, he's, he's very lateral, very agile, so if he can stay hot or at least, you know, lukewarm compared to how he's played, uh, that's that's scary for Bucks fans. Norman Powell is scary for Bucks fans at this point, that's, that's kind of crazy. Yeah, and then, as you said right at the beginning, the bench has really decided the series so far. You know, the first couple of games, the Bucks bench was terrific, and then in these two in Toronto, uh, you know, the likes of Van Fleet. Van Fleet's starting to finally show some signs. And Powell, and Ibaka was huge tonight. He had double-digit boards really attacking the offensive glass and, and shooting the ball with confidence. Uh, the Raptors bench has, has really stepped up. One guy, though, for Toronto that continues to struggle a little bit, at least on the offensive end, I should say just about everybody uh, on the on the Raptors are playing terrific defense, but uh, a guy that's struggling offensively and continues to struggle is uh, is Pascal Siakam. Is there anything you can see the Raptors kind of tweaking to to help him out and and, and get him a little bit more effective? It's it's interesting because you watch and the Bucks are almost treating him offensively like a I guess like almost like a Draymond Green type where. He's just wide open. He has all the space, and he doesn't know what to do with it because nobody's guarding his three-point shot. So unless he starts taking and making those shots, I don't see the defense changing. And I mean, if you're a Bucks fan, if you're a Bucks player, 
it's a win if Pascal Siakam takes a mid-range jumper or a three. You don't want him to get ahead of steam and, and start going towards the rim, start getting maybe some layups where he can use his length. He's got that great spin move. You know, he can get to the line. You want to avoid that at all costs. And he's almost not even trying. I'm not sure if it's a lack of confidence or what's going on, but hopefully, you know, for Toronto fans, Pascal kind of, all, all the confidence that Norman Powell has and Gasol's been picking up and Fred Van Fleet got tonight can wear off on, on Pascal Siakam and he can kind of, you know, take a bigger burden offensively because, you know, like you said, Kawhi's playing, you know, all out defensively. Kawhi's playing all out offensively and Pascal's supposed to be their second guy on offense and he's just, he's not holding up his end of the bargain and that, that needs to change at least. Maybe you can scoot by the Bucks, but you're not going to be able to beat the Warriors if Pascal Siakam is, is you know, what did he shoot today? He went maybe three of six. Uh, you know, he, he needs to be able to get more field goal attempts than that. He needs to be more active offensively than six field goals. Well, and you know, people talk about the difference between the regular season and the postseason and you know Draymond Green mentioned there are there are 82 game players and there are 16 game players um and you know I, I think Siakam is is better than what he's shown but I think an, an issue you know with a lot of players that they deal with is you know not only is the playoffs more intense but uh, the matchups can sometimes just be so difficult you know you look at what Siakam has had to deal with in these three rounds the first round he had Jonathan Isaac, who, you know, is a is a really long athletic wing. In the second round, he's dealing with Joel Embiid. When Embiid went on him, he kind of shut him down. And in this round, he's got to deal with Giannis. Uh, so, you know, could it be just as simple as, oh, he's he's just got some some really tremendous defenders, and and there are there are few guys that can score effectively against those types of defenders. Yeah, that's that's certainly a big part of it, and. You know, in the playoffs, the the game planning is just on an entirely different level than the regular season. Where every game is is a precise, precise game plan, and the players, every player, will get completely analyzed. And you know, maybe you know where where he can get away with his his spin move and maybe a couple other moves during the regular season because whoever's guarding him is is maybe taken by surprise or maybe he gets switched off. You know, and, and you know. Quasi transition plays a little bit more often. He gets a new defender on him, but in the playoffs, guys are running back. Giannis is going to be on him. You know, ninety percent of the time that they're in the game together, he's not going to he's not going to dilly dally back and just pick up whoever is getting back. Uh, you know, it's 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 the hardest time to score is in the playoffs. You know, everybody's throwing everything they can at you to stop you, and when you're the second best scorer on the team, you're getting even. You know, even more attention than, than everybody else. So we'll see. He's a young guy too. This is not a situation he's been in before. You know, he, with DeRozan and Lowry being the, the kind of the two-headed monster last year, and Siakam, you know, being there but not being the guy. And now he's got to be, you know, the guy. Be, you know, the guy point two. So it'll be interesting. He's he struggled so far. He's definitely disappointed so far. But he's a really good player. He plays really hard. And, you know, he's great defensively. Just because he's not scoring the ball doesn't mean he's not contributing, you know, to wins in the game. He's playing phenomenal defense. But, you know, Raptors got to get this guy going. they got to get Siakam to score more. Yeah, because you, you can't really expect the likes of, of Lowry and Gasol and Powell to, to light it up like they, they've done in the last couple of games. 
you know, especially on the road. But uh, I, I originally, prior to the series, picked the Bucks to win in seven. I'm sticking to that, uh, although the Raptors have uh, have made me question whether you know they they might pull this out. So, Frankie, what is uh, what is your prediction as to how this series will play out? So, uh, pre-playoffs, I had the Raptors going into the finals, but uh, as the games went on, I, I kind of picked up the Bucks. I actually thought it would be Bucks in six. Um, obviously, still on the table, not out of the question, but uh, it's definitely been a closer series than I anticipated. Although, actually, these games haven't been particularly particularly close, but they've somehow been good regardless. Like you said, tonight is an 18-point game, and it's still a really fun game. Just watching these guys go up and down the court. So i say Bucks in six, but we'll, we'll see. It'll, it should be fun. This is It needs to be fun. This is all we have for about nine or ten days now. Right, and and that's because of the, uh, the, the Warriors sweep of the Blazers, which we'll get to here in a second. I just had one more comment I thought was pretty good from uh, the broadcast tonight. Kristen Ledlow uh, I don't know if you caught this. Mentioned that there's this uh, co-wine and dine initiative, where uh, 50 local restaurants in the city of Toronto have already signed up to participate in giving Kauai free meals for life, and uh, they're also trying to add some some Uber and Lyft drivers as well. I just thought that was uh, that was really funny and. Uh, for a guy that's going to be making, uh, you know, around two hundred million dollars, I highly doubt the the Kawhi and Dine initiative is going to make the difference. Yeah, everybody knows Kawhi is a very thoughtful, sensitive guy, so that's what they're they're trying to appeal to those sentiments of his. Yeah, but uh, yeah, it'll be uh, it'll be fascinating, and certainly Toronto's making a good case on the actual basketball court to keep him. But uh, it will be fascinating to see. Let's move on to the uh, the, the Portland Trailblazers and Golden State Warriors series. Uh, we won't get into into too much of the details because the series is over and we don't have any predicting to do. The Warriors are going to have nine days of rest heading into the NBA Finals. But uh, Frankie, what were some of your uh, what were some of the overarching themes that you, you saw out of that series, and uh, how does uh, how does it make you feel about the Warriors' chances in uh, in their fifth consecutive Finals appearance? It's it's interesting. So I, I don't know what the what the deal with the Durant injury is, but I assume he comes back at some point if it hasn't already been established that'll be coming back. And one thing that, that when he went out I was worried about or not worried about but acknowledged could be a possibility is it's been so long since Steph and Clay and Draymond had to carry this team. Because when you have those three guys, Andre Godala yeah, and you and you add Kevin Durant to it, the the urgency is gone. It's not a hundred percent chance that you're gonna win, but you get seven chances to win four games, you it's I would I would have been shocked if they ever lost the series. Everybody would have been shocked if they ever lost the series. And that kind of changes the way you play, you know, mentally, it changes the way you play for those other stars who are used to it. And now they had game five against the Rockets, the second half game five. They had game six and these four games in Portland where they had to carry the team on their shoulders like the old days. And it almost proved to them that, you know, yeah, we don't, we didn't need Durant. We are, we are freaking good at basketball. We are incredible at basketball. And I think once, if Durant comes back, when, when Durant comes back, it's just going to be total demolition. 
everybody's got their confidence. Nobody's going to say, oh, yeah, it's the Rams team. We should get, let him score. No, it's, it is, we are all worthy of being, you know, number one, number two guys on this team. We're fortunate enough to play with each other. We are just going to destroy people. So when he comes back, if he comes back, I think that's what I expect to see. But I will say it has been a hell of a lot more fun watching this team play now than watching them play before. Do you agree with that? What are your takeaways from the from the style of play and the, the I guess, the excitement factor and the intrigue factor of these games? Yes, I, I think Curry is one of the most enjoyable players to watch. His, uh, you know, him attempting 15 threes and an attempt, there was one three he hit from about 35 feet in, uh, in game four. Uh, it is, yeah, it is a blast watching him and and, and Draymond, you know, Draymond is playing at an incredibly high level. That series was one of the better series I've ever seen him play. Seems like he's back in in, in really good shape. He's uh, His athleticism is all the way back. You know, in the regular season, he was really struggling at times to finish layups. You know, he uh, he wasn't blocking as many shots and, and, you know, wasn't quite as active defensively as his, you know, defensive player of the year days. Uh, but uh, since the playoffs have started, and especially that series against Portland, he has been absolutely phenomenal, going coast to coast and and uh, and finishing. And of course, he had a couple of triple doubles in that sweep. Uh, but uh, yeah, I I feel like Curry and uh, and Green are playing at uh, at close to their peak levels. Oh uh, yeah, they've they've been great. And, and the crazy thing is, they get a sweep, and and you almost didn't even notice Clay. It was kind of just the Steph and Draymond show, and, and Clay was there. Obviously, he can shoot. He, he plays great defense, which people, you know, nobody ever talks about. He plays great defense. He's a great defensive player. Uh, but it'll be, it'll be fun. I'm, I'm hoping we can. I mean, I, I'm not hoping. I, I don't hope for anybody to be injured. But I would. It would be exciting to see this Warriors team go against either the Raptors or the Bucks without Durant. Uh, and and see if they're up for the task because I think they are. I think they're an incredibly good team. I I, I would argue that they could win about seventy three games without Durant. Uh, and it'd be nice to see them have to you know really get pushed and, and have to carry the load again because that was fun. And those crowds are the crowds are Oracle's always crazy, but it always it seems like there's an extra level of of excitement and and crazy when when it's just you know the Curry. Draymond Clay Warriors. So, really looking forward to that. Uh, it'll be fun. Do you take anything away from the Blazers? Uh, any positives or negatives? It's kind of a weird series. It's for their playoffs, at least. It's a, a team that you didn't expect to get the Western Conference Finals, and then they get there and they play about half to three quarters of every game really well, but they get swept. So it's it's kind of like what pieces do you pick up? What's good? What's bad? What's what really happened? And kind of you need to take a data to process this team. So what do you take away from the Blazers real quick? Yeah, I mean, the I don't really look at this this sweep, uh, this this loss to the Warriors in a positive or negative way. It was kind of what I expected. You know, people were talking about, oh, the Blazers should have won a couple of these games. They were up 17 in the in the second half and three straight games. But it's like the Warriors were, were coasting for, for all of those first halves of that series. They knew that uh, when they had to put it into overdrive, when they had to, uh, you know, play at their A level, that they could out, they could easily outplay the the Blazers, and and the games were close almost. I think more because the Warriors 
didn't go all out for the for all 48 minutes than because the Blazers were actually you know close to the the same level. Uh, but you know the 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 things that uh, you know you can look at as far as positives. You know the fact they were able to make the Western Conference Finals without Nurkic, who was their second or third best player all season long, was an impressive feat. They got some uh, you know some some interesting performances at times from Zach Collins. You know, in at times in the Denver series came up huge. Myers Leonard had 25 in the first half of Game Four. There were a lot of funny uh, funny tweets, including. Uh, uh, a poll asking what who is the best Leonard in these playoffs, Kawhi or Myers? Uh, but uh, you know they they had some some young players step up. Rodney Hood's performance was uh, was really impressive. It'll be interesting to see uh, if uh, if they're willing to give him some money this off season to retain him. I think Neil O'Shea uh, getting the likes of Hood and 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 Seth Curry to to booster the shooting on the roster. I think helped them get to the conference finals, uh, but. But simply, you know, you, you saw it with the likes of, of Harkless and uh, Aminu. They've just got to get more elite wings on this roster uh, if they want to actually compete for titles. Yeah, they, they need somebody. It's, it's weird. They're watching them play, obviously, Lillard and McCollum are, are incredible. But the offense that they generate, they're not, they're not generally high-assist guys. So the offense that they generate is... is usually creating good shots for themselves or making tough shots for themselves, they don't have that that Draymond-type player, that Jokic-type player where, okay, you're going to trap Lillard, I'm going to dish the ball off to somebody at the top of the key who can not only shoot the ball but can also drive, draw and help, and then kick to a Seth Curry or or you know an Alfa Rucamino in the corner and create shots that way. So a lot of their offense seems to come off just isolation trying to score or a quick pass and a shot. It's not this this Warriors breaking down the defense to get an incredible, incredible shot. It's just, yeah, we have guys who can get good shots and make and make bad shots and we have and we have some guys who can take, you know, somewhat open shots but not a ton of time. And I think they really you know, obviously with Nurkic they, they have that guy. He's a pretty pretty decent passer for his size. But it was just something that stood out where it's it's almost you have to manufacture points from such inefficient places or, and you don't have any access to the hyper-efficient places and that really kind of stalls your offensive, you know, just, I guess, efficiency throughout the game. Yeah, the, uh, the two biggest differentiators, I thought, between the two teams, as you mentioned it, Draymond Green and, and when, when the Blazers trapped the... Uh, uh, the the Warriors guards, you know, Draymond Green and his ability to run four on three is so much better than anybody that Portland has in those situations. And then, uh, you know, also I think the 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 biggest difference between, even though I think you know Curry and Thompson are are superior defensively to Lillard and McCollum, but the biggest difference in terms of their offensive game. And maybe it also has to do with the offensive systems as well. But the the off-ball movement that Curry and Thompson that do on every possession, not only wearing out the defenders having to chase them around, but getting open looks in other ways, you know, not having to every possession to run a pick and roll or run in isolation, to, to get those three-point looks in other ways uh, just by movement, I think is a big differentiator and something that Lillard McCollum can learn from. Yeah, and it's it's kind of crazy. You just you don't see players of that caliber working so hard without the ball in their hands. It's 
I'm not sure if it, I mean, obviously it's what they, you know, it's part of what they need to do to get their shots and to get their offense. But in a way, it's just, it's such, such selfless basketball because it's opening things up for everybody else. And to be honest, I mean, Draymond's holding the ball at the top of the key and Clay and Steph are, are running around the court like chickens with their head cut off. And it's so entertaining to watch. You're, you're looking at every screen, every double screen, every elevator screen, everything coming, and you're you're trying to see if, if you know, the, the defensive players are pointing. Are they switching? Is somebody taking the outside angle, trying to you know short kind of pass, and then Curry's bouncing back to the corner? It's just there are so many intricate little steps that go on when they're just running around without the ball. It's it's pretty incredible how entertaining that can be just watching those guys run around try to get open they're they're so so good at it i'm curious to hear your thoughts on on steph and and of course this is this is the fifth year of a five-year run that has been absolutely phenomenal and could culminate in a fourth championship in those five seasons and the fifth season being a season where he led a team to the best record in the regular season in NBA history. He's going to be a two, I mean, he obviously already is a two-time MVP during those five seasons, maybe could have won two different finals MVPs in 2015 and 2018, uh, you know, where you think this uh, this sort of run puts Curry not only in terms of the all time greats, but uh, you know in in the current uh, ranks of the NBA. Oh, that's that's a tough one. Um, I mean, Curry's great. He's phenomenal. It's it's almost a shame to have Durant on this team because I think it hides a lot of the shine that Curry has and a lot of the shine that Clay and Draymond have. And to be honest, I think it hides a lot of the shine that, that Durant has too, where these guys, you know, you almost, when the pressure is on and when you know that, Hey, if I don't play well today, we're probably not going to win when that's the case. And somebody steps up and has an incredible game. I feel like there's a lot more value than in that than when somebody, you know, I don't play great today. Somebody else probably will because we have great players and we'll be fine. So I'm going to go out there. I'm going to try my best. And if I don't have a great game, I'll probably still win. I think that 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 situation kind of detracts from the greatness of all of those guys on that team, which is a shame. But for Curry specifically, I think it's, I mean, maybe the stats aren't there. And to be honest, the, the stats are there. But the conversation isn't really there. It's always Durant who's maybe taking the biggest shot. But it's it's so clear that this team runs on Steph's offense, where the best version of this team is Steph's offense is, is what he creates with or without the ball, whether he's making or missing shots. So where is he up with the greats? I mean, his career's career's not done. He's got a long way to go. I guess and, let me let me ask it this way. Is there any five-year run from a point guard in the history of the game you would take over what Curry's done these last five years? Um, I would say five-year run. I mean, Magic's is obviously up there. And he, he definitely had a bigger burden on himself to carry that team and, and to carry the Lakers and just really to carry the NBA. Uh, I guess when you look at the hard stats and you look at everything like just 
games won and successes and records broken, things like that, it's probably incomparable. But I would say that less of it is because of Steph. You know, as a, as a proportion of, of the success, I would say Steph's is less than the proportion of the success that was um, attributed to Magic. But, I mean, that's, you're, you're really, you're almost splitting hairs. I mean, I, I don't want to take away anything from what Steph's done. It's been absolutely incredible. What the Warriors have done has been, been absolutely incredible, despite the, uh, or even considering, rather, the, the talent advantage that they, that they now have. Well, yeah, and the, the thing that's impressed me the most is you talk about, like, this, uh, this current Warriors team that, that played in this Western Conference Finals against, like, even that 2016 team. You know, without Durant healthy, you know, you, that team still had Harrison Barnes, you know, and this team just did not at all. And you talk about Iguodala and Livingston. Uh, those guys are a couple of years older. Uh, that team had Leandro Barbosa. Um, you know, this team's playing Alfonso McKinney a lot of minutes. And a, and a very different yes, exactly. So the fact that this team was able to still sweep Portland and also, you know, really win the end of Game Five and also Game Six against a very good Houston team uh, is 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 really really impressive. And uh, I think a lot of that, you know, I, I think Clay Thompson is is that guy that's always just been pretty consistent throughout his career, but, uh, you know, what Curry and Draymond specifically have done in this run is, is nothing short of incredible. Yeah, and, and anybody who was saying that the Warriors aren't going to win without Durant, that they have no chance against the Rockets, or... Which is exactly what Charles Barkley said. Yeah, it's like, uh, have, you not, have you not been paying attention? It's, it's unbelievable how good this team is, and yeah, maybe Iguodala is older and Livingston's older, and you've lost Harrison Barnes, and Bogut's different, and Barbosa's not on the team anymore. But those are the more or less interchangeable parts. The, the, the engine is, is Draymond, and the engine is Steph Curry, and the engine is Clay Thompson. It's, as long as you have that, you can get new tires, you can get a new steering wheel, and the car is going to drive phenomenally. It, it, it blows my mind that people are. Some people are shocked that this team just swept the Blazers and is coming back from, from all these deficits in the third quarter in the second half. And I'm just like, what do you mean? This is this is the Golden State Warriors. They won 73 games, you know, two three years ago. They've been in the final four straight finals. This is one of the you know the, the team of the decade. How are you? How are you even remotely surprised that this is happening? Yeah, it's a, it's a fair point and. Uh... You know, I, I do think there's something to be said for the fact that, you know, I think Portland and Denver were arguably the fourth and fifth best teams of the Western Conference behind the likes of the Warriors, Rockets, and Jazz. The the bracket just uh, worked out really well for those couple of teams. But, uh, you know, the, the Warriors have to play the team in front of them, and uh, they were able to, to do so extremely effectively. I'm curious to hear your thoughts as far as... Uh, you know, um, obviously there, there's still some question marks over the Warriors' health, but assuming the Warriors are healthy, and, and that should include as well DeMarcus Cousins, uh, if, uh, if the Warriors are, are indeed healthy heading into the NBA Finals, uh, do you think the Bucks or the Raptors could give them a challenge? Uh, I imagine the Bucks or the Raptors will probably win a game or two. Um, I imagine it'll be... Something along the lines of maybe it's it's a struggle for for Durant or let's say Cousins too to get back. Maybe they start slow. The continuity's not there right away, or 
it's one of those things where they jump out to a huge 2-0 lead and they're coasting and they're they're blowing to the, the Raptors and the Bucks out. And then game three, they kind of go back to their lazy, you know, we're the Warriors, we're going to win no matter what kind of kind of play style. And the Bucks and the Raptors sneak a game or, you know, maybe they win game three and game five or whatever it is. But I I don't see a, a healthy Warriors losing, you know, any, any sleep over a loss. Maybe they lose one, maybe they lose two, I don't know. But I think it's it's pretty guaranteed that Regardless of what the how many games it takes, just by watching, it's going to be very clear that yeah, the Warriors are, are way better than any team that's going to come out of the East. Do you do you kind of have a similar view, or do you think that that the, the East opponents are a little bit more formidable than than I'm getting off? I I do think they're a little bit more formidable. Uh, I I think you know the the blueprint to beating the Warriors was shown by the the Rockets last year. And uh, of course, those uh, those 2016 Cavs and and Thunder teams, you know, switching a lot, uh, really making things difficult for for Clay and Steph being very physical. And I think both Milwaukee and Toronto have the defensive personnel and the length and physicality to replicate that, if not do it even better than the Rockets did last year. Well, then let me ask you this: if which team out of the East do you think stands a better chance? I know you're saying you have the Bucks in seven, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you think they'll they'll be a better opponent for the Warriors. Yeah, it's it's fascinating because I think the Raptors are more well suited to you know to to replicate what the Rockets did and switch everything. Uh, you know, the the Raptors have five guys that really that can switch, uh, or they can switch at least one through four. And uh, Gasol is a really intelligent defender. They can they could play small and put Ibaka in there, who's a little bit better of a switch guy. So I would say the Raptors probably are more well suited defensively. Although you know what Milwaukee does defensively in terms of taking away everything, uh, you know, in the paint, if they can force the right guys to shoot for Golden State, which they've been successful at at various times this season. That defense of, of taking away everything easy could be effective as well. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, it'd be interesting. How, how would you play it? Would you would you kind of play? Obviously, you're, you're going to do the switching if you can. But a lot of teams try to double double staff, double play off the ball, or you know get them get them off the ball rather, and leave Draymond pretty much open at the top of the key. Would you consider? Switching that up, where whoever is guarding Draymond or, or wherever whoever the help is that comes to Draymond, uh, rather than giving him the lane, maybe tries to stop him, and maybe he is the focal point. Or what? What do you think would be a good approach? Let's say game one, game two, the Warriors win regardless of who they're playing, and, and you almost have to make a coaching change or, or a, a scheme change at that point. What? What do you kind of turn to? Let's say you're. You're doing the switching and the trapping that all these teams try. Yeah, I think what uh, one way to kind of attack them defensively is what the Cavs did, and in, in especially in that 2015 series with Timofey Mozgov, where he did not, uh, you know, step away from the basket. He allowed Draymond to take the mid-ranger or even the floater, and he just, uh, you know, he also took away the lob by staying right at the rim. And then if Draymond came all the way to the basket, then he you know showed verticality and, and tried to contest there and make Draymond finish over the top. 
and you know a team like Milwaukee with the likes of of Lopez and uh, and Giannis and even Miritich, they've got enough size to potentially execute that. Uh, so so that would be something I would consider. I think Milwaukee's rim protection could cause Draymond some issues. And again, if if they can force the likes of Iguodala and McKinney uh, and and Green, you know Livingston, those guys to take the shots, uh, you know you can you can maybe uh, defend the Warriors reasonably well. I think the the real antidote to to stopping or to scoring on Milwaukee and Toronto has shown this a little bit is having you know seven or eight guys that can all take threes and take them confidently. But you know Golden State outside of their you know their three star offensive players and Durant, Curry, and Thompson, they they don't have a lot of team wide shooting. No, they don't, and it's crazy because it's almost. Where would you say? So yes, they have. They only have three guys who can really shoot the ball. But would you still say that they have the best shooting in the league, even though they they, they lack the depth that another team might have? Yes, because those three guys are probably the top all in the top five in the NBA as shooters. Yeah, I think that was the the right answer. I mean, and in the playoffs, especially in the finals, you're you're, you're stretching out players' minutes, so you have fewer minutes where it's McKinney or it's Quinn Cook or, or you know Livingston. You're just it's more minutes with these these incredible incredible shooters. So it's gonna be it's gonna be tough. Uh, I guess we'll we'll find out hopefully in the coming days what's going on with Durant, uh, or at least get some sort of update. You haven't heard anything, have you? I haven't. Uh, I I think I heard it was either at, uh, in the broadcast in Game Three or Four that they were they were um, or yeah I think it might have been in Game Three that they were talking about reevaluating him in a week. So he may have been able to come back if that series went to seven and maybe come back for game six or seven. But uh, as long as that, when they evaluate him, that he's progressing and, and looking good, I think he should be available for that game one. But you never know. You know, calf injuries can be, can be concerning, and they also can, uh, they can uh, be re-aggravated pretty easily. So the Warriors have to be careful. And, you know, Iguodala also, late in that series, he didn't play in Game 4 with a, a calf issue of his own. Yeah, that's true. And one thing also to note is, regardless of who comes out of the East, the East has home court advantage for the finals. So, you know, getting it back sooner than later, you know, uh, obviously the Warriors are great on the road, they're great at home, they're great everywhere, but, you know, it's, it's definitely a factor to, to not have home court. So you don't want to... You don't want to go down early, especially if if Durant is going to be slower to come back or at least not be himself when he comes back. And it's definitely a concern about that home court. We saw it last year with the with the Rockets in that Western Conference Finals. Yes, and you know, speaking again to the, the those two teams in the East and their chances in the finals, I think uh, you know a, a big part of it. I think both of them are going to be able to do reasonably well defensively, but the offensive end is going to be where the, where it's a, a question mark. You know, uh, is Draymond Green going to be able to slow down uh, a guy like Giannis as effectively as Kawhi has? You know, that could be a big factor in really limiting Milwaukee's offense. And then with Toronto, of course, the the status of Kawhi, if he can be an elite offensive option in the finals, uh, you know, he's he's shown it in the past with the Spurs that he can he can score on the Warriors' defense. Uh, but uh, if he's not healthy, that that could be a concern, and especially if he's if he's not healthy due to the fact that he has to uh, expend a ton of energy just getting out of this series. Yeah, is it, uh, 
Is it too late for the Warriors to, to make a trade for Zaza? With, I think he's in Detroit now. Is that right? <laughs> the the Kawhi antidote, right? Yeah. yeah. That's the secret right there. Yeah. Well, uh, Frankie, is there any uh, is there any final thoughts you have about uh, about the conference finals and uh, maybe some thoughts about the, the NBA finals to come? Um, I just hope we get some competitive games. Um, I I would like to see. I would like to feel like there's a chance that it's not the Warriors winning. These past two years, and, and for the most of this year, uh, it just feels like it's inevitable that the Warriors are going to win the finals and. To me, that takes this whole competitive edge out. It, it makes the finals less exciting, and it's kind of—it's almost kind of lame. Uh, but without without Durant, and again, I, I would rather he play. I don't want anybody to miss games for injury. Um, if, without him, it's it's bittersweet because now we have the chance for some maybe more exciting competition. So, just hoping for some close games, hoping some players. Um, you know, really show out. I love, I have this, I call it the, uh, the Eddie House. It's this thing where I, I, I love when a series gets determined by the non-star players, where the Celtics don't win the finals unless Eddie House goes off, where the Mavs don't win the finals unless Deshaun Stevenson plays great, or whatever it is. I like when the guy who you don't expect to be a main contributor ends up being the main contributor. And I just feel like we haven't had that in a little while, so I'm, I'm looking forward to that. And I got my eyes on, uh, got my eyes on like a, a George Hill type player, maybe a Fred Van Fleet, uh, and Kevon Looney in that Game Five, Game Six against the Rockets. Uh, Kevon Looney was that guy for the Warriors, so I'm looking forward. I'm hoping there's a there's an Eddie House player in the finals this year. Yeah, and I, I think the the finals, at the very least, even if uh, as you stated, it's it's going to be ended end up with the Warriors winning uh, their their third consecutive title. I think this is going to be a little bit more competitive. Either of these teams out of the East are going to be better than that 2018 Cavs team. And at the and also, the fact that it's not Warriors-Cavs is also a little bit refreshing knowing that. That is nice. That is nice. Well, cheers to you being right. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, Frankie, thanks so much for, uh, for coming on. This was a lot of fun. And, uh, yeah, I really appreciate it. Uh, looking forward to listening next week. See who you got on, uh, but take care, and hopefully we get some good games. And enjoy whatever you decide to do tomorrow. I mean, what, what, what do we do tomorrow? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to plan to watch a, a couple of movies, I think is my plan. How about you? Uh, well, enjoy those. Uh, we'll see. I'm teaching myself to play the guitar, so I might do that. Uh, we'll see. Probably end up just hanging out with friends. But who knows? I got, I got three hours back in my, in my Wednesday. Yeah, maybe finally get some sleep as well. All right, well, thanks again. That's definitely All right, man, have a good one. Thank you again. Thanks so much for listening to Duncan Dynasty. Uh, if you'd like to support the show, you can uh, you can subscribe to the program on iTunes. If you can leave a, uh, a rating and review, that would be greatly appreciated as well. Uh, the show is also now on Spotify. Uh, if you can uh, give the show a follow, again, a rating on there, uh, that uh, that really helps a lot. If uh, if you've got any uh, questions or comments or uh, or ideas for uh, for future episodes, uh, you can contact me uh, on Twitter at Garrett Bouguet, and also uh, my email is g-bouguet at onu.edu. 
So uh, feel free to uh, to uh, give me any of your uh, ideas. I, I love to hear from uh, from the people listening to the program. And uh, enjoy the next week of the NBA calendar. And uh, have a great rest of your day. Leftovers. Or the DMV. Number 97. Or house cleaning. Or Chumba Casino always brings the fun. Play over a hundred different games online for free from anywhere. You could redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. Live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox Internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home Internet. Cox is the real home Internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com Internet for details.